0: Amen. Somebody say amen. Yeah. Amen. You know, it's, a, it's wonderful uh, when we sing praise to the Lord our God. And what a, what a beautiful sound it is when we hear God's people singing together. What a, what a joy it brings. You know, we, I, I just sense the Spirit of the Lord in this place and in you all as we, as we sing praises to our our God and King, Jesus Christ. Um, Wow. I'm so thankful for that. If you're joining us for the first time this morning, we're in a sermon series called The Practice of Genuine Religion. And when I I say that word religion, I'm talking about our faith, um, what that looks like as we live it out each day. And uh, we're coming out of Romans uh, chapter 14 today um, in this. You know, in this sermon text... um, Pastor Leon Dol- Duncan, excuse me, he uh, commented that someone needs to write a book Romans 14 for dummies. You know, just to just to kind of make it simplify it. And he said he would be the first one to buy it and uh, uh, apply it in context. And I I think I'd probably buy that that book too, but. Um, You know, today we're not concerned so much in our day about the spiritual implications of eating or not eating meat. Okay, And what I'm talking about is when the time when when this was written, that was a big issue, is whether you ate meat that you bought in the market because that meat had probably been sacrificed to idols. And so it was, a, it was a point of conviction uh, among some, and, and that's the main issue that Paul is addressing. But he also mentions uh, talking about keeping certain days as holy. He talks about um, the drinking of wine, um, which may be a bit more relevant for our, our society and our, our day. But even so, it's difficult to apply these verses in a way that is true to the text. Um, I mean, only God... Can be the final judge. He alone knows all the facts, including each one of our motives. You know, in in 1 Samuel uh, uh, chapter 16, verse 7, it says, For God sees not as man sees. For God looks, excuse me, for man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks upon the heart. This is important. Uh, I'm, I'm talking this morning about the importance of having the right motive. And, and since we cannot know the motives of another person, I can't know your motive in doing something and you can't know my motive. Not unless we tell each other our motives. But God can. And he does. See, we can't be the final judge, though, of another person if we don't know their motives. Jesus said this in in Matthew 7. He says, do not judge so that you won't be judged. And, you know, people throw that verse out there a lot these days. But most of them are using it out of context. And really what this means, you know, Paul even warns us in in, in Romans 14. And I want to read, if you will follow along, uh, Romans 14, verse 13 through 18. And uh, if you have your Bible and would open up to that, or, or your uh, smartphone or your iPad or whatever you use for your scripture, it says this in verse 13 It says, Therefore, let us not judge one another anymore. But rather determine this not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. I know and am convinced in the Lord Jesus. That nothing is unclean in itself, but to him who thinks anything be unclean, to him it is unclean. For if because of food your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Do not destroy with food him for whom Christ died. Therefore do not let what is for you a good thing be spoken of as evil for the kingdom of god is not eating and drinking but righteousness and peace and joy in the holy spirit for he who in this way serves christ is acceptable to god and approved by men let's pray loving father We thank you for your word, and we thank you for how it challenges us. And Holy Spirit, I ask that even now, even in this moment, that you would guide us in all truth. Father, that you would, through your Holy Spirit, would convict our hearts of the things that aren't right. And Father, I pray that if we are not right with you, that we would be right with you today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You see, what I'm saying here is, if the motive is not right, nothing is. If you miss the motive, if your motive for doing something is not right, then nothing is right. And I I think that's huge because by motive, I don't simply mean a good intention. You know, usually our good intentions come along with procrastination and even neglect of duty. Oh, well, I meant to do that. Or, boy, I, I sure would like to get to that. And I, I, I want you to know something, especially you, know, the, the students that are with us. If you procrastinate till the end of the semester to work on your term paper, it's not going to end well. Good intentions don't cut it. Not when you add procrastination and neglect of duty. So understand that if the motive is not right, nothing is. And the road to hell is paved with good intentions. People want to do that. Yes, I I plan on doing that, just not today. And what happens is we run out of time. Because that's the commodity that we don't know how much time we have. You see, by right motive, I mean a heart. A heart that is right with God. Okay, A heart that is right with God, that has honest intent, sincerity of purpose, and integrity that seeks first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. When I say a right motive, I'm talking about all of that. Okay, Being right with God, having, having a, 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 a right intent and you're, you're doing it for good. You have sincerity of purpose, that, that you're single-minded in that, you're not divided on that. You're doing it with integrity, you're doing it with with purpose, but you're also seeking first His kingdom and His righteousness. When I say right motive, that's what I'm talking about. See, Paul says that we're to stop doing something that we're in the habit of doing. Literally, what he is saying is, let us no longer have the habit of judging. That's what we used to do. We used to judge one another. But what he's saying is don't do that anymore. Let's not have the habit that we used to have of judging each other. You know, I read about a a preacher who kept a special book. It was labeled complaints of members against one another. And every time one of them would come up to him and and, and, and voice a complaint, he would would pull this book out. And he'd say, well, um, here's my complaint book. Um, I'll write everything down and then you sign it and when i see that person i'll pull this out and show them the complaint and 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 most people said well all the people actually said i don't want to sign anything and in 40 years of ministry the book had pulled out been pulled out and opened many times but nothing had ever been written in it and the problem is is we want to complain but we don't want people to know we're complaining Don't say anything to them. We just want to throw this out there. See, Paul in this passage, he uses a play on words in the Greek. That if we want to judge, then he says go for it. The only thing is judge yourself. Okay, and I think that's big because we're pretty big on judging other people. But we don't want to judge ourselves. See, we're usually hard on other people and easy on ourselves. And what Paul is saying is, you need to be easy on other people and hard on yourself. If you want to have an accurate evaluation of who you are before God, then be harder on yourself than you are on others. I think that's key. Because he says in these verses... Instead, make up your mind literally means judge this rather. And we're to make up our minds because our actions can have adverse effects on other people. You see, what we need to understand is what I do affects you. I want you to say that with me. What I do affects you. I want you to look at your neighbor and say it. Look at your neighbor and say, what I do affects you. Folks, that's the truth. What we do affects each other. And we need to understand that. You know, one of the, one of the greatest preachers who, who ever lived was, was Charles Spurgeon. Charles Haddon Spurgeon. And, and for most of his life, he smoked fine cigars. Matter of fact, he actually said that he could smoke to the glory of God. And all of this changed as he was going down the street one day and he saw a tobacco shop that had a sign in the window with this advertisement. It said, Try the cigars that Spurgeon smokes. He realized then that his behavior could be a stumbling block to someone else. Even worse, it could destroy another believer. So he limited his liberty out of love. And I want you to ask you a question there. Is that something that you are willing to do? To limit your liberty in order that you might love a brother or sister in Christ by not putting a stumbling block in front of them. See, our liberty must always be tempered by love as we recognize that the attitudes and actions often have Our attitudes and actions often have adverse effects on other people. I mean, we can we can blow up, we can go give them a piece of our mind. We may even be in the right. But it also may be crushing for that individual. I mean, verse 15, Paul says, But for if because of food your brother is hurt, some versions say distressed. And the word there, hurt or distressed, has the idea of grieving as if over a lost one. You know, like a loved one, excuse me. Like you're grieving because someone in your family died. Okay? He's talking about a brother or sister in Christ if because of food, if because of your liberty... In Spurgeon's case, smoking cigars. Because of that, if, if for because of your food, your brother is hurt, you are no longer walking according to love. Oh, we need to hear this. Because what I'm saying is, is, I'm way out of bounds if I use my freedom in such a way that it causes anguish for someone else. Well, I don't care, I can do what I want. Not if you love your brothers and sisters in Christ. Not if you love your neighbor as yourself. You can't do whatever you want, whenever you want. See, remember this, that the conscience isn't always right, but it's always wrong to violate it. It's not always right, but it's always wrong to violate it. You know, speaking of conscience, someone commented that a clear conscience is usually the sign of a bad memory. We just don't remember. But let me, let me give you a, a, a scenario here. Let's say there's a married man named Joe. Who's been taught all of his life that if he ever takes his wedding ring off, if he ever takes it off, he's breaking his marriage vows. You see, this, this belief about his wedding ring has been passed down from Joe's family for generation after generation. And so, to take it off would be the equivalent of trashing his vows. But he loves his wife very much. Now imagine that Joe had a friend named Randy. Randy came over and they were, they were on, a, on a Saturday morning, they were going to work on, on Joe's car. Well, Randy comes over, and they're getting ready to dive in, and Randy takes his wedding ring off and puts it in his pocket so he doesn't get any grease on it. Can you imagine how Joe would be gasping when he saw Randy do that? Thinking how much he respected Randy. And in Randy's mind, he's not even thinking about... What it does to him, because he's never been taught that. There's no correlation in his life between taking his wedding ring off and and loving his wife. There's no correlation for that. But you see, outward deeds may appear similar, but sometimes our actions differ in moral quality in proportion to our motives. Here's what I'm talking about. Another picture, another word picture. Two guys may date the same girl. Their attention may be the same. They both profess affection for her. They bring her gifts like they should and and other things. One is dating her because he loves her. The other one is dating her because she is wealthy and he wants to have access to her accounts. Motive makes all the difference in the world. Two guys pray in church. Both prayers outwardly are about the same. One guy's prayed with sincere motives in his heart. The other guy prayed to impress someone he's sitting next to because he's hoping to get a loan from him. Motive makes all the difference. A young man was baptized. Some years later he revealed that he had not been totally sincere in his commitment. He actually got baptized because he was trying to impress a young lady in the church. So, later on he said he was not a Christian didn't intend to become one, and his act of baptism, which seemed to be a beautiful confession of faith, had really been a deliberate act of hypocrisy just to impress a young woman. See, these scenarios could be multiplied, but I've given you enough to establish the truth that the quality of any action depends on the motive. And the only person and only God can know What the motives of our heart is. See, in God's Word, in Scripture, the importance of right motive has always been emphasized in the Bible. I mean, Jesus stressed the importance of right motive in the Sermon on the Mount. I mean, when he said that religious actions and prayer and even giving alms are to be done with an eye towards God's approval, not towards man's. It's more important what God thinks than what any other person thinks. Nicodemus, he was a leading rabbi. You know, his education, his wealth, his his position were of no benefit commending him toward God. I mean, apart from a right heart attitude... I mean, these motives are so important. I mean, Jesus said it this way. He said, don't be amazed that I said to you, you must be born again. What he was telling Nicodemus is you got to start all over. you got to begin from the beginning. It doesn't count. Your education, your wealth, your prestige, none of this counts in having a right heart toward God. You have to be born again. Paul affirms that an unsaved person cannot please God. In Romans 8, 8, 8, 8, he says those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Those who've never been born again. But isn't this also what he means in 1 Corinthians 13? You know, the love chapter? I mean, we talk about that. And if we define love as being synonymous with a right heart toward God... You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. This is the first commandment. And the second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. If we define... Love as being synonymous with a right heart toward God. Paul is saying that even though a person may have great gifts. Even though he may give their, his goods to feed the poor. Even though he give their, they give their body to be burned but they don't have the right motive in God's sight. Then we've done nothing worthy of God's approval. want to please our Lord and Master. For him to say, well done, my good and faithful servant. You remember in Acts chapter 20, excuse me, Acts chapter 8, verse 20, when Simon Magus, he, he offered money to Peter. Because he, he wanted to buy, he wanted to purchase the Holy Spirit. And so he offered money to purchase the Holy Spirit. And this is what Peter said to him in, in 8.20. He said, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. Listen. Even though our heart may be right, we still make mistakes. Even though our heart may be right toward God, we still make mistakes. Because all of us make mistakes in judgment. We judge people we see. We judge them as they walk by. We judge them when we see them. We, we, we look at things that are going on in their life and we tend to judge people. And I want you to understand something that God does not make infallible Christians. He does not make Christians who are infallible. <laughs> Last I checked, nobody's batting a thousand. Nobody. That's the problem. We're not infallible. And so we, we need to recognize that. You know, many people with good intentions, hear me, many people with good intentions do stupid things. Been there, done that. Had the best intention, wanted it to work, did a stupid thing. Happens all the time. You know, I want to offer you in order to protect the guilty, I want to offer an example of a different kind. I was reminded, as I was thinking through this about Dr. Seuss, the story about the elephant who meant well when he offered to hatch the ostrich's egg. You know him, Horton, okay, right? But the idea is, is he meant well, but he did something that really wasn't very smart. He was Not real brilliant about that. But an elephant is faithful 100%. I've read that story so many times. Look at the last part of verse 15 in our passage. He says, do not destroy with your food him for whom Christ died. The word destroy there is very strong. It's a very strong word, and and it, and it means to tear down. And the root is used for the devil, for the destroyer. And when we destroy our spiritual siblings, we are acting like the devil. Do not destroy with food him for whom Christ died. Now let's go back to Joe and Randy. Imagine that Randy pressures Joe into taking off his wedding ring. And Joe gives in to the pressure and he takes it off. But in his heart he feels as though he's broken his marriage vows. And he's been unfaithful to his wife. When he goes home, he feels guilty because for the first time in his life, he's crossed that line at least in his mind. Never intended to do it. Caved to pressure, just went and pulled it off, and now he feels guilty about it. You and I probably think, well, it's not that big a deal, Joe. Get over it. But the key there was Randy pressured him into that. You see... He's violating his conscience. And Paul is telling us here that if we're serious about pursuing love with one another, that we'll think about how our liberty will affect someone else's spiritual growth. See, once Randy knows about Joe's beliefs, about his wedding rings, love would dictate that he keep his ring on, at least when he's with Joe. So he doesn't cause his brother to stumble. See, we should never do something that destroys the person for whom Christ died. And if Christ loved him so much, can't I curb my liberty for his sake? Even though it may be legal, it may be nothing immoral about it, there may be, it may be fine for you, but if it violates your brother's or sister's conscience, then you probably shouldn't do it. I mean, good people... Good people differ in their likes and dislikes. Let me think about this. Some people buy. Other people rent. Good people. Some people save. Other people live it up. Some people want hymns. Others prefer gospel songs. Some want slow, stately music. Others want it peppy. Some people think a pipe organ is the only suitable instrument with which to praise God. Other people think maybe drums and guitars, maybe even trumpets. Still others banish all instruments and only use their voice. That's it. See, because others cannot know our motives, and because our judgments differ, as believers, as Christians, in today's world, we need to expect to be misjudged and maligned by others expect it I mean what are we supposed to do with this how are we supposed to live this out how are we what do we what do we do about this and I would say to you this morning first let's be sure that our own heart is right with God that's the first thing when you begin to judge a brother over something they are doing or something they are not doing, better check inside. Do the ministry of the interior. You need to get in there and see and make sure that your own heart is right with God. It's very important. Because otherwise, we'll be led astray. We will judge them. We will, we will commit um, character assassination. We will, we will diminish them in the eyes of other brothers and sisters. And you know, that, that it's, it's, it's huge because we need to make sure that our own heart is right with God. See, you can know your own heart. Scripture tells us that. And instead of judging others, judge this. Verse 13 says this, it says, Therefore let us not judge one another anymore, but rather determine this, not to put an obstacle or a stumbling block in a brother's way. Folks, we should be charitable in our judgment of others. (laughs) Assume that their motives were right and good and not evil. See, we don't want to give other people the benefit of the doubt. Maybe what they were trying to do was noble. Maybe they had good intentions. Maybe from their point of view, their motives were pure and good. But we can only imagine that they're evil most of the time. That the world is evil and they're out to get us. That may not be the case. Assume charity and judgment of others. I would say thirdly, make sure that you get all the facts. Because a lot of times there's things about people's circumstances and situations that we don't know. We have no idea how heavy someone else's burden might be. They may be carrying it every day. You know, I'm amazed at how many times people think they know what is happening simply by jumping to their own conclusions. Also, I would say make allowances for circumstances. We don't know what someone else is going through. We don't know their situation. You know what? If we were in their shoes, we may do the exact same thing they're doing but we tend to judge and say well they're they're an upstanding member of the church they they shouldn't be doing that we don't know what they're dealing with make some allowances for circumstances try to put yourself in someone else's place because many times it's that heavy burden that we don't know how we would react until we are carrying their load you know i'm told that in the alps the tourists there are cautioned in certain points to to not to yell or speak or sing or even whisper because the faintest breath can cause a reverberation that would cause an avalanche. You know, When commenting on this, a pastor points out, he said, There are men and women who are walking under such stress of burdens, of cares, of responsibilities, of sorrows, of temptations, that one whisper of censure, one whisper of criticism or complaint or unkindness, may cause them to fall under the pressure of the load. I would also say, if, if you have a problem with someone, scripturally, you're to go talk to them and speak to them about it. I mean, if you've wronged another person, or if you've given someone cause to to your motives... Maybe you should go to them and talk to them. You know, the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, verse 22 says, uh, but I, excuse me, 23 says, Therefore, if you are presenting your offering at the altar, and there you remember your brother has something against you, ought against you, leave your offering there before the altar, and go first, be reconciled to your brother, then come and present your offering. Folks, Christ cares about our relationships with each other. That you might be one. Even as he and the Father are one. He cares about that. If we have a problem, if you think another Christian has sinned against you, then the instructions are clear in in Matthew 18 and Luke 17. Go to them. Talk to them. I would say lastly to take confidence in God's judgment. Ultimately, God knows your heart. He knows if you're right with him. He knows if there's something between you and him. He knows the motives of your heart that that when you you stepped out and, and, and made a, a an effort this morning that that he knows that you were making that effort with a right heart toward him that that your purpose was was there and and that it was intentional it was it was honest. And you're seeking first his kingdom. He knows that. He reads our hearts. No matter how much people may misunderstand or malign you, God knows your heart. You know, in the final beatitude in Matthew 5, one of the reasons that Jesus gives for counting happy those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake and reviled and lied about is that God knows about it. And will reward them in heaven. He sees it all. He sees everything. Recall Simon Peter. You remember he denied Christ three times? He had given others the reason to think that maybe he was not a follower of Christ. He denied him. He said, I don't even know the man. Probably not following him if he doesn't know him. But in John 21, we find the account of Jesus testing Peter's heart. And he asked the question repeatedly. He said, do you love me? And Peter, in effect, he says this. He says, Lord, I haven't acted that way. I've given others reason to doubt that I my love for you. And Lord, you know my heart. And you know, Lord, that I love you. I mean, God knows all about us and He still loves us. I mean, praise God for that. I mean, relationships are the whole thing, folks. I mean, it's it's not how much you understand, it's whether you are living in light of what you understand. If you know how to live for Christ and you're not doing it, then it's sin. but it's living in light of what you do understand. He's not going to hold you accountable for the things you don't know and you don't understand, but he will hold us accountable for the things we do know and we do understand. You see, as God knows your heart and you know your heart, can you affirm today that your heart is right with God? See, if your heart is right, You can know that your sins are forgiven. And if your sins are forgiven, you know that you have eternal life. And the Holy Spirit will guide you into the truth. If your heart is right, the mistakes that your head makes will be forgiven. But your heart has to be right with God. If your heart is not right... And you claim to be a Christian. Then you're pretending. You're a hypocrite. Because those who know Jesus follow Jesus. Those who have accepted him their heart is right with God. Because apart from that we cannot be right with God. See you may be fooling others. You may be fooling yourself. But you're not fooling God. If your heart's not right, if your heart's not right with him, then you're lost. Nothing you can do will get you right with God unless your heart gets right. This is why I say to you this morning the importance of a right motive Of having a right heart with God. And I would say to you this morning. Now is the time. I mean Christ loves you. He died for you. God loves you. And he wants you for all eternity. He wants to spend time with you. And I would say this in closing. Trust Christ's invitation. John 6.37 says this. Jesus said all. All, meaning everyone that the Father gives to me will come to me. And the one who comes to me, I will certainly not cast out. If your heart is right with Christ, your heart is right with God. But if it's not, then nothing's right. Let's pray. Loving Father, I thank you. I thank you for your word and I thank you for how you challenge us. And Father, I pray that you would help us to be very aware that what we do affects others. And Father, I ask that you would convict our hearts this morning. Lord Jesus, we know that you gave your life for us. We know that you love us so much that you, you bled out and died so that we would be made right with God, that one sacrifice for all time. But God, we have to accept that sacrifice. Holy Spirit, I ask that in this moment that you would draw us to Christ. And Father, if there is someone here that has never acknowledged Christ as their Savior and Lord, that today would be their day where they get their heart right with you. Lord, I pray that as we, as we have a time of response, a time of invitation, Jesus said, everyone who comes to me, everyone who comes to me, I will not cast out. Father, may we come to you this morning. Through the blood of Jesus Christ, may we profess you before others. Father, so that we would be professed in heaven before your Father. Lord Jesus, I ask that you would just show yourself mighty in each of our lives. Father, help us to to live in light of what we understand. And we thank you for this time in Jesus' name. Amen.